Hey everybody, if you want to get notified when we have a new Mindset Digital Podcast available, just text the word MSDPOD to 555-888. That's MSDPOD to 555-888. And we'll send you a text message whenever a new episode comes out. Text message and data rates may apply. Shall we begin? From the intersection of social media, learning, and technology, it's the Mindset Digital Podcast. In today's episode, we return to live streaming just as the technology is finding its way into several new platforms. Plus, we talk podcast audience feedback with Jen Michaels. Special guest Ryan Clarkin shares some of the best practices he has developed while building a significant following on Periscope. And finally, we share something on the internet guaranteed to make you laugh. It's a full slate today, but we'll take it one segment at a time so that creative director Pete Brown can keep up. Here's Pete. Does it does it say keep up? It does. That's what it says in the script. It is a full episode today, though. And actually, uh, there's quite a bit of you in today's episode. If I'm not mistaken, you produced a couple of these segments. Awesome. So, very good. So normally I say we'll see you at the outro, but we'll see you uh, much earlier than that. Very nice. All right, good times. Well, today's episode was originally going to be the last episode of 2016, uh, but things just got crazy busy here in the fourth quarter at Mindset Digital, so we didn't do an episode in December. And in 2017, you're going to see more episodes of the Mindset Digital podcast and shorter episodes, so more and shorter. But this is really a, a full episode today of the sort that we've put out all through 2016. And I wanted to return to the subject of live streaming because it's something that we've covered pretty intensely over the past year, but also because we saw a lot of moves in the fourth quarter of last year in the, in the live streaming space that I think are really starting to solidify the place that live streaming is going to occupy in our digital lives. So back in March of 2016, we had a live streaming showdown right here on the podcast with what were then the top contenders in the field, Periscope, Meerkat, YouTube, and Facebook Live. Uh, it was not long after that that Meerkat, the app which was really the first mover in the live streaming space, announced that they were shutting down and pivoting into something else. At the time, I asked Matt Wiener, who's one of our social gurus here at Mindset Digital, about the move and pointed out that it seemed like live streaming was destined to become kind of a feature of established networks rather than something that was compelling enough to support a standalone app. I, I think the lesson is the one that they identified that, you know, if your entire app is basically just a feature, yeah. I mean, any more in a crowded marketplace, I, I don't think that's going to be enough to survive in social. I mean, there's just too many platforms to choose from. And in many ways, he was right. In the past year, we saw live streaming added natively to YouTube and Facebook and quite recently to Instagram. Twitter, which owns Periscope, would always automatically tweet out links to your Periscopes when you went live, but then they changed the feature so that your live streams would play right within your Twitter feed. In other words, you no longer had to leave Twitter to consume a Periscope live stream. And after that, Twitter just added live streaming as an option within its app itself. So I'm calling it. There are some new startups like Hype, which we profiled uh, in one of our last episodes of last year, or House Party, which is the app that Meerkat has become. But besides these, live streaming seems to have jumped the shark as its own thing, and by and large now exists as a feature in support of the major social platforms. Be that as it may, it still seems to me that on a very fundamental level, we're still struggling to answer the question of why you should go live at all. I remember what Ben Rubin, who was the CEO of Meerkat and now CEO of House Party, 
what he wrote about live streaming when he announced that Meerkat was, was going to shut down. And he said, One thing we have learned is that there's a very high emotional cost to being entertaining in a live format. And bringing on enough of a live audience to make it worthwhile is challenging too. And this sentiment was sort of echoed by a man named Sean Puri, I hope I'm saying that right, who is the CEO of a service called Blab. Now, Blab was a desktop live streaming service, kind of a public-facing Google Hangout, if you will. And it would let you sort of connect up with three other people via their webcams and sort of live stream a show. I thought it was a pretty cool service, but before we even got a chance to do anything with it here at Mindset Digital, they shut down. And here's what their CEO had to say when he announced that Blab was shutting down its service. What went wrong, number one? Most live streams suck. Then he gave us some data where he pointed out of, of the 3.9 million total users for Blab, only 10%, less than 400,000, came back on a regular basis. And so he says, why does this happen? And his response is, because most live streams aren't interesting enough to justify stopping what they're doing to watch your broadcast. The struggle with live streaming is that we need to show you something awesome that's being made right now. Turns out that's really tough. It killed Meerkat and Periscope and Facebook Live are feeling the pain right now. And I, I, I would just add to that, just doing one 25-minute live stream show, which we did in 2016, it was emotionally exhausting. When it was done, everybody was like, oh. we're going to put links to both of these articles in the show notes so you can read them. And to be honest, I think both of these guys are right. Making really compelling content live is a very tall order, no matter how easy these apps make the actual broadcasting of it. You spend time surfing around in Periscope today, and you're just going to find yourself thinking that there's just a whole lot of boring crap going on in the world. And I think this is why Facebook announced, and this was this past summer in June, that they would be actually, Facebook actually pays major media companies and select celebrities to use the Facebook Live feature. Here's what the Wall Street Journal wrote at the time. The company has agreed to make payments to video creators totaling more than $50 million, according to a document reviewed by the Wall Street Journal. Its partners include established media outfits like CNN and the New York Times, digital publishers like Vox Media, Taste Made, Mashable, and the Huffington Post, and celebrities including Kevin Hart, Gordon Ramsay, Deepak Chopra, and NFL quarterback Russell Wilson. And so while Facebook is actually paying for live content at the high end to try and you know give us more reasons to be on Facebook, at the same time, they're trying to change the conversation around live streaming for the rest of us. And they're doing it with a, a massive television campaign that's going on right now. And this campaign really does little more than suggest to you times that you should be going live and how you do it. How to go live is you've got a hidden talent that you're ready to make not so hidden. If you have a thing, but your friends don't know about your thing, then take matters into your own hands by taking that phone in your hand and opening Facebook. Press this and go live. Now, introduce yourself. Tell them about your thing, and then hit them with that talent. You're doing great. And even if you're not, your friends will probably still think you're awesome. The commercials, you know, feature just a vertical phone screen in the middle of a, a field of black showing someone doing something. And then they have a long flow of comments and likes and emoji that starts floating across the lower third of the screen as if this is uh, an audience responding live in real time to what they're watching. Now, this is where I think we're going to see some very different ideas around live streaming that break down, and I'm just hypothesizing here, by generational lines. Which is to say, I'm on the cusp of 46, I'm very solidly Gen X, 
And the use cases that I see Facebook suggesting via these commercials for live streaming really strike me as being patently ridiculous. So in one commercial, there's a young girl playing a ukulele. And I think, why would I do that live? Why wouldn't, if I, if I want to share my ukulele skills, why wouldn't I record them until I got them exactly how I wanted before I decided to upload them and expose it to my 400 Facebook friends? And there's another commercial that shows a Facebook user who's like at the top of a mountain after a long hike. And, and the, the narration suggests that, you know, when you go live, when you're in an interesting place, it's like your friends are there with you. Really, Facebook? Really? First of all, I challenge you to find me a mountaintop at the end of a hike that has any cell phone service, let alone a service that has the bandwidth that I would need to go live. And on top of that, if I'm out hiking and I'm on a long hike and I'm climbing a mountain, the odds are pretty good it's so that I can get away from my devices and away from my digital life for a few hours. But what's clear about this is that Facebook is trying to lower the bar in answer to the question of why go live. And I suspect that the younger you are, the more inclined you are to do so. You know, I have a kid in middle school and a kid in high school, and they have wanted nothing to do with Facebook or Periscope at all. But as soon as live streaming came to Instagram, which is somewhere where they spend a lot of time and energy and effort, they both jumped in on it and their friends jumped in on it. And I know I'm not alone in predicting that Snapchat, which is where my kids spend probably the majority of their time when they're not on Instagram, Snapchat is going to be adding live streaming to its tool set sooner rather than later. And in one of the Facebook commercials, they actually walk you through what it's like when you should have something to say about something. How to go live when you have something to say and you just need to say it out loud. When something happens in the world that blows your mind or breaks your heart or you're simply stoked about or makes you question everything, you might have something to say. Say it to whoever you're with. And if you have more to say, just take out your phone and press this. Tap this and go live. Now you're not alone. Your friends are here to listen. And I really feel like they're targeting the younger generation. They're really trying to say, look, form an opinion and then share it on Facebook Live. And again, me and Gen X, I'm like, yes, I'm going to form my opinion and very carefully lay it out as an argument. But I see no reason why that argument has to be presented in a live format. Now, our podcast is focused on professionals, and we spend a good deal of time trying to break down the professional use of social tools. And in that respect, we've had a couple of responses as to why someone should go live in a professional context. Here at Mindset Digital, we've added live streaming as part of our service when we manage the back channel for large conferences and events. It's really a great way to engage with kind of an on-site audience, and we share behind-the-scenes content. We do interviews with speakers and industry leaders while the event's going on. People get these notifications on their phones, and it allows them to sort of tune in to other things happening at the conference. And we also know, and we've known this from the start, that live streaming breaking news is a no-brainer, and it's something we've grown accustomed to seeing on a regular basis. But in 2016, we really saw some compelling examples of this. In June, Democrats in the House of Representatives live-streamed a sit-in on the House floor after Republican leadership ordered the chamber into recess without considering any action on gun violence. And so uh, when they ordered this, the C-SPAN cameras were shut down. So Democrat staffers fired up Facebook Live, fired up Periscope, and this was a 25-hour sit-in that was live-streamed the entire time. More than a million people tuned in to watch it at one point or another, including me. I will say it did not seem to me like a lot of the members and senators that were taking part in the sit-in actually understood live streaming technology. 
um, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, you know, kind of sat down right in front of one of the phones, which was on a, a tripod. She didn't realize that's what was broadcasting. So when I was watching, I really just saw the back of her head for a few minutes. And then July of last year, we saw the death of Philando Castile at the hands of a, a St. Anthony police officer. And it was live streamed by his girlfriend. She started a live stream right after he was shot. Uh, we were really brought right there into the thick of that situation uh, in, a, in a compelling and, and really frightening way. And, you know, this incident certainly set off protests around the country. The officer in question is now facing charges of manslaughter. And I think it's I think it's important that with one button, she was able to go live in that moment, right? It wasn't a matter of her recording something that hopefully she would be able to take and upload later. By live streaming it, it was immediately out there. Uh, so if anyone was going to take her phone and mess with it, it didn't matter because it had already been broadcast. So back channel, breaking news, two good use cases for live streaming. Today, we're going to add one more response to this question. When we sit down for a chat with personal trainer named Ryan Clarkin, and I want to be honest, we recorded this interview earlier in 2016. It, we thought it would be part of another episode, but it ended up getting cut for time. But I've always wanted to return to it and bring it back because the interview is very much focused on practical advice that Ryan shares, uh, best practices he's developed using live streaming in support of his business as a personal trainer and a, and a life coach. And at the time that we saw him, he had a few thousand followers on Periscope. He Periscoped every day. He regularly saw audiences of 200 and 300 on each Periscope, which uh, is, is a super sizable audience for Periscope, I'll be honest with you. The most I've ever been able to get on a Periscope live stream was 72 people, and that was when my wife brought home baby chickens from the kindergarten at the school she works at, and I live streamed it and put my phone down in the, in the brooder, and little chickens peeped around, and for about five minutes, people tuned in and watched. So I am happy to share this interview with Ryan and appreciate him coming in and talking to us about how he was using Periscope. Also on the show today, we do a quick check-in with Jen Michaels uh, about our ongoing efforts to really better understand the audience for this podcast and how we can tailor our content to it. And as always, we find something on the internet guaranteed to make you laugh. Let's kick off with Jen. So Jim Michaels is here. We are continuing to figure out how we build an audience for the podcast. Our, our most popular episodes have a few hundred listens. Um, the last three have not cracked triple digits as of right now, and mm. they've been going steadily down, which to me is interesting because I feel like we're really finding our groove with the content, you know, but we haven't done any more outreach than our normal Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook postings. So, um, one of the bosses here said she wants to give me some budget to promote the podcast, which is great. And I said, but I want to know who to promote it to. So you want to talk about what we decided to do for to continue this audience analysis process? Sure. So since the analytics were a little thin and we couldn't really tell who was listening, right? We knew we had 100 or so downloads, but we couldn't tell where they were coming from mm -hmm. or even if they were all different people or maybe, you know, maybe there's someone who downloads us 10 times every week. Um, we decided that maybe the way to do it would be to find somebody else who doesn't listen to the podcast, right. ask them to listen to some of the podcasts and see what their reaction was and see if they could kind of tell us who they thought the podcast was for. Right. And this is where I just love that you're an academic. It's like by day, she's a corporate person. And by night, she's an academic because you're writing your dissertation right now on digital composition, digital rhetoric 
How yeah. I, is yeah, it, yeah. Am I saying it right? Yeah, I'm in an English department, but I'm in this this sub department called rhetoric, composition, and literacy. So yeah. we're the people who always ask first, who's the audience, right. and how do we create something that that audience will want? So maybe that's why I'm so interested in this question. Yeah. So what I did was I went on my Facebook and I put out an open question. Hey, who among you is a total podcast junkie? I love this. And then and then so you're going to walk me through the anecdata is what you called it. So what happened is I approached a couple of those people who seemed most likely to me to actually listen. Okay. And of the three people I approached, one did not listen at all. Okay. One has simply not answered my follow-ups, even though he said he would listen to it. Okay. And one of them did listen to it and got back to me with this message. Okay. It was internally focused, didn't seem to be in for an audience at all. We'll write more, have to head to a teacher event at Sam's school. That's her son. And when I thought about it, I thought this message is interesting, not so much for the first sentence, but the second sentence, right? This idea that podcasts sort of fit into the fabric of your life and they're sort of shoved into this recreational space between your other events. Yeah. And I wonder if our challenge is partly finding people who care about our content, but also striking this balance of finding people who aren't intimidated to download a podcast, but also somehow still have an open parking space in their leisure time. Right, right, right. And won't have to bump off the moth or 99% invisible to fit us in. So I think that's interesting feedback. And so maybe our thinking, which, which I think that comment it's internally focused is probably speaking to, right? Because a lot of our podcast is us in the office trying to figure this stuff out and share it. And, and maybe there is an audience for that, but maybe it's just a smaller audience than uh, we know. Yeah. I wonder about that because yeah. there are podcasts that do that successfully, mm-hmm. right? So things like Startup, most of their episodes just sort of talk about what's happening right. in Gimlet Media. Right. So somebody's got that secret sauce, and I don't know yeah. what makes their secret sauce different exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot, a lot to try. So I like that. I think, you know, continue to try and get these people to listen, and we'll see if we can get, you know, some more insights. Um, I hope things went well at Sam's school. I hope so, too. For our one listener. So, and, and, and thank her for doing that for us. But um, I just, you know, like, I, I hate when we only have 37 because I, I feel like 16 of those are, are people here, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's tough. Maybe we need to be more controversial. Might be that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's a question, Pete, is, is the goal of this exploration to identify a certain type of listener and chase them? Or is it to take the content we have and try and find it at home? Right. Or is it to say, this is the kind of stuff that we really enjoy building. Yes. And we've got to figure out which human beings like that. Right. And that, yeah, and right. And that's often two sides of the same coin. Yeah, it's chicken I, and the yeah. egg. I would say, I think what's nice about sort of the anecdata approach is somebody saying, you know, what would be really nice about this podcast would be if it was, you know, content recommendations. Because we have a format, but it's just based on what we think works, right? And everybody here listens to it and they're like, it all sounds good. And we all listen to a lot of podcasts, but it would be interesting to know kind of outside the bubble of our company, if that format's really resonating. Yeah. Okay, now I'm really spitballing, but I wonder what would happen if you eventually issued a series of these shorter ones in a row. Because I'm thinking of those podcasts I really do like a lot, but I never seem to find time for them on the regular. Sometimes something will happen, like maybe I'm mowing my lawn or I'm cleaning the house and it's going to be like three hours. Right. And I might queue up 10 or 20 short episodes of a podcast that's on my B list and enjoy the heck out of them. And I wonder if Mindset Digital could become that kind of podcast, a binge listen podcast. Yeah. 
binge. Okay. Very good. The new campaign's forming in my head. Cool. Well, this was a fun break. Thanks, yeah, Pete. No worries. And safe travels. And um, thanks for thanks for your work on this and, and for all the work you're doing here. Ditto, Pete. All right. Good times. Is that all you got? Hi, guys. This is Bria. I'm here with Ryan Clarkin, who is an online fitness and mindset coach. His primary platform is Periscope, and he's also the youngest coach in history to have, oh, help me out here. A physique competitor turned pro. A physique competitor (laughs) turned pro. So, and you're doing, and you do a lot of this too over Periscope. Right. So I I know we're going to talk about more about like how to run an effective Periscope thing, Mm -hmm. but can you talk to us about what is it like going from starting at zero followers? Do you Mm, remember what that- I do. Do you remember? I remember my first Periscope. Yeah. My first scope. What was that like? It was very awkward. (laughs) It was not good. (laughs) I, I thought it was okay. But my buddy, Zach, who's a Periscope expert, he's like my go-to man. He's one of my best friends. He was like, dude, you got a lot of work to do. <laughs> the lighting was messed up. I had notes. I was like looking at my notes the entire time. It was a mess. But the most important thing was that I I kept moving forward and I kept going. Um, I never thought that I would break uh, over a thousand followers when I started then, but what happens is you just scope and you scope and you scope. And now I have over 200 episodes, 200 scopes, 200 recordings. And, and let's see, and follower wide, do you mind giving us those numbers? Um, I can check right now. I think I'm around 1500 or something like that. Nice. So yeah. And, and I won't really want to press an important point. It's not the amount of followers that matter. It's the relationship that you have with each and every follower. Right. I noticed that because when when you start a scope and people first join, you're greeting mm-hmm. you you greet so many of them and you're like, Hey, hey and you mm-hmm. you know their names. Well their names pop up, but <laughs> Right. Or their usernames pop up and a lot of times you know their names behind mm-hmm. the username. Yeah, because I'll ask. Mm-hmm. Because people don't want to be addressed as a username. We're human beings and we tend to forget that when we're online, especially on Periscope. They don't want to be like, hey, Bobcat26. They want to be like, hey, Bria, how are you? Thanks for joining my scope today. Yes, my username is Bobcat26. <laughs> <laughs> <It's not. laughs> right. And and this and I should I should back up here and say that what you're scoping about is mindset and fitness. Correct? Yes. Motivation. Pri- motivation, mindset. I want people to go in my scope and I want their day to be better or changed Mm -hmm. in an empowering way because they decided to jump on my scope. And how, how often do you periscope? So I've had periods of time where I'm scoping three times a day, two times a day, one time a day, every other day. I am at least on periscope every other day. That's like, that's pretty much a minimum. Sometimes it might slip if I'm, if I'm coaching a seminar, but ideally if I were to recommend, you know, if someone were to ask how many times a day should I, or how, how often should I scope? I would say at least every day. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, I was at three times a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's dedication. Yeah. <laughs> and did you notice that your audience grew a little bit each and every time or were there spikes? So what's interesting is I feel like my audience grew as my mastery grew. Mm -hmm. 
the more that I practice, the more people appeal to me and the more they, they followed me. And also as, as I grew and as I practiced more, as I watched other influencers in the space, like Zach, I started picking up tips where, for example, I could scope three times a day for a year and not do certain techniques on my periscope and miss out on tons of followers because there's certain things that you can do when you're scoping to make sure that they get on board, to make sure that they're enrolled in you as a person and that they want to continue following and they want to continue watching you. So those are things like asking questions, having them invite their followers, literally telling them, invite your followers in here. If you got value, if this made your day, invite your followers and they will, or give me a follow if you're new here or what's your name. And they post their name. Are you new here? Yes. Cool. Thank you for joining in. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to my message. You're awesome. Give me a follow. <laughs> and then that's, those are the main tools to, to capitalize on that. So Ryan, I know that one of the reasons why a lot of people are afraid to do live streaming, myself included, is because trolls. <laughs> you have <laughs> yeah, people are ruthless. <laughs> yeah, they are. They yeah. really are. So, but I mean, still, it doesn't matter who you are. Like trolls mm -hmm. are a fact of the internet. Sure. So how do you deal with them? Yeah. So, the, I mean, there's always going to be trolls, people who are saying nasty things, especially on a platform where anyone can join. There's a map and you never know who's going to show up in your scope. Right. So there's a few great ways to handle it. Number one is there's, say, let's, let's say for an example, someone joins and they're being really nasty and I don't want them in there. Or they're complaining about my, how my content isn't good. That's the most hurtful thing to feel as a content creator, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who says you're a bad presenter, mm. you, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. I had someone on who was like the other day who was like, everybody on the internet is an expert now. And so <laughs> the way that I respond to that is if you don't appreciate the message that I'm sharing, click the X button. Mm -hmm. Because I'm building a tribe of people who want to be inspired, people who want to grow, people who want to better themselves. So I have no interest with having other people in who aren't interested in doing that themselves. It doesn't serve them and it doesn't serve me. Mm -hmm. The second thing is there's this amazing feature on Periscope and it's called the block button. And... You literally just tap on their name and hit block. It's a piece of cake. You don't have to acknowledge them. You can just read it, block them out. But the most important thing, and this goes outside of business, it's it gets into relationships in general. And this is the core of everything is you're going to get insulted. People are going to say nasty things about you. It's, it's a fact of life. But it's up to you if you decide to take that personally. So I understand why people insult, why people are trolls, because I've, I've been there before in my past when I was a hardcore gamer. It, it's, it was fun, but it comes from a place of insecurity. And when you understand that and you understand that when people say horrible things about you, that it's coming from a place that's missing in them, mm -hmm. then you can look at it in a compassionate way. You don't get angry. You don't get pissed. You don't take it personally. You just go, okay, I hope this person 
gets better. Like, (laughs) I hope they see the light. Uh And I've, I've turned haters into, into fans by just simply acknowledging them and being like, Hey, like ignoring what they said totally. Hey, what's going on? And kind of catching them off guard and just going on with my topic. And since I share such a powerful message, sometimes it, it just lands and it really resonates with them and it opens their eyes. And that's the most beautiful outcome. But 90% of the time, it's block. Um, this is like the year of the live streaming. Everything's been going on with live streaming. People are so fascinated by it. And yet, it hasn't quite taken off the way that people have expected it to. Um, can you just speak to why? Why don't you think that Periscope has like exploded in popularity where like everyone is using it because they're not right now? Mm-hmm. So when we compare Periscope to some of the major platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the main differentiation factor, the main difference is that to be a content creator on Periscope, versus Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or even YouTube. Mm-hmm. It actually, it takes a lot more courage because people are afraid to put themselves out there and to speak their voice live mm-hmm. versus posting something on Instagram or posting something on Facebook. It's much easier to create content. Right. And wherever there's more content creators, there's going to be more people to watch, to consume. So the important thing to understand if you have fears when it comes to going on Periscope, starting and being live, is that everything you want is on the other side of that fear. If you're afraid to go on because you want to be perfect or you don't want to mess up, something that you really should realize, something that is really important to realize is that people don't want to see perfection. They want to see realness. Because when they see realness, they relate. Mm -hmm. And people like people who are like them and people like people who they want to be like. So it's the perfect opportunity to create that connection. So I would say the number one thing is fear. Yeah. And there's just way more content creators on the other platforms because it takes a lot more energy and effort to broadcast and to share your message out there. Right. It's like saying, why aren't there tons of people who have started podcasts? (laughs) Right? Well, there are. Well, I, I like mean. compared to there are. Yeah, you're right. There are. <laughs> but why ha, why doesn't everybody have a podcast? It's, it's like different tools can be used for different things. So, yeah, I think it's growing very very fast. Mm-hmm. It's growing very very fast. And it's it's going to take time to blow up, but it is it's very effective. It's very very effective. Cuz it's real immediate relationships. Exactly. Yeah, there's no better way to put it than that. Well, Ryan, um, I know that I've worked with you and you're one of my favorite coaches I've ever met in my whole life. (laughs) So where can people find you if they want to connect with you? You can find me on my website, ryanclarkin.com, on Facebook. Shoot me a friend request. Send me a message. Ryan Clarkin. Instagram, Ryan Clarkin. Periscope, Ryan Clarkin. My name, (laughs) just type it in. 
and you'll find me. And you do a lot of things. So just to refresh, you can help people with weight loss, nutrition, fitness, mindset. I also do a little bit of business coaching on the side just for people who ask, (laughs) but primarily fitness and mindset coaching. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. Absolutely. It was a blast. Hey, everybody. This is a a little post-episode note. I usually don't do this, but this new story broke while we were pulling this episode together. And it really encapsulates, I think, everything that we were saying about live streaming in this episode. The generational shift, the questions around it, the answers to the question, why go live? Antonio Brown is a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's 28 years old. He's pretty good. Pittsburgh beat the Kansas City Chiefs in a divisional round playoff game a few weeks ago. In their locker room following the game, their coach was giving the team a post-game speech talking about their upcoming game against the New England Patriots, AFC Championship game. And the coach had some harsh words about the Patriots and their staff, as you might have. And he was also asking his players to cool it with social media and not give the Patriots any bulletin board material in the week leading up to the game. And we know this because the entire time he was talking, Antonio Brown was live streaming from the locker room, which is, I've learned, against NFL rules, and Brown received a fine of $10,000 for doing this. But here's the thing. He wasn't filming Coach Tomlin speaking when he was doing this live stream. Instead, he had the camera turned around and was doing like a selfie video where he was smiling and mugging for the camera, and it just so happened the coach was in the background talking. So clearly he wasn't listening to the coach. He was more into creating some content. And as it turns out, Antonio Brown is one of Facebook's paid content creators. He's somebody who gets paid to put content on Facebook Live. I don't know how much he gets paid. I saw one reference to $244,000, but I'm not sure. That was a Wikipedia reference, so I'm not sure the source of it. But we do know that Brown is one of their paid content creators. And here's why I want to share this story. We have someone who really understands the idea of content in social media and constantly putting out original content, doing a live stream somewhere where average Joe can't go, the locker room after a playoff game, not paying attention, not listening to his coach while his coach is asking the team to lay off social media. Of course, the sports talk world this past week was all about this story and whether or not Brown cares more about himself than his team. And sharing some behind the scenes, live actual video from inside the locker room after a big win, to me that sounds interesting. That's some compelling content. But there are so many variables to consider before going live. But are there consequences? I don't know. Steelers coach Mike Tomlin apologized for the comments he was overheard making. Antonio Brown was fined $10,000 by the NFL. And the Steelers got beaten very badly by the Patriots in the big game. Hey, Danica Stahl, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you, Pete? I'm doing well. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. And uh, has the pressure gotten any less intense? Um, in some ways, it, it it has. In others, it's become worse because um, I don't watch a whole lot of funny videos, so got a little harder to find something this time. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, it doesn't always have to be a video, right? It could be something else. So, uh, And remind me now, you're... You sit over our social media channels. Mm-hmm. 
our blog. Yeah, our blog now. That's my my new duty. And um, you help out with our PR duties, right? Yes. Okay, very good. And you were formerly an intern, now full-time employee. Correct. How's it going for you? Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, and let me ask you, uh, you were on our Pokemon Go episode. Are you still playing Pokemon Go? Yeah, no, it got really boring. They didn't really add any new features worth um, playing for. Hmm. So when was the last time you played it? Probably like two months ago. It's been a while. Wow. Okay. Alrighty. Well, let's see what you got. I could use a laugh today, so this is going to be helpful. All right. So um, this time I, I've picked out the video Weird Arby's Guy, the okay. original version. My boyfriend showed this video to me a few months ago, and I remembered it, and I thought because you used to do journalism business that maybe this would make you laugh. Okay. And before, before you hit play, I just want to remind people, if you are subscribed to MSD Pod at 555-888. You can send the word laugh, and we will send you a direct link to the thing that Danica thinks is going to make me laugh. It's been a particularly bleak run for me, Danica, and the weather is not helping. All right, well, <laughs> hopefully uh, hopefully this will help. Okay, don't worry. It made my mom laugh, so, All right, you know, there's, there's that. Weird Arby's guy on YouTube. Are we ready? Yep. Julie Bonovic joins us live, and Julie, what happened out there? Well, David Delano, they just finished boarding up the window bay in front of an here. This is a very busy Arby's. It sits right here in Woodward, in Maryland, near 13-mile road. So as you can imagine, there are quite a few people inside at the time. A big window went pop, and there was just glass everywhere. That was the loudest bang I had ever heard. It sounded like an explosion. I thought perhaps the end of days was upon us, but it turned out it was just a disoriented <laughs> old lady in a champagne-colored Toyota Avalon crashing into my world like DMB circa 1996. Who's oh got their claws God. in you, my friend? Into your heart, I'll beat again. Just before 2 p.m., an elderly oh, yeah, woman drove it? into the or side come of the <laughs> He comes back. Okay, we just saw... An Arby's employee the with a beard who is speaking in some sort of oddball rhymes. And eating inside. They were thrown eight to ten feet. I saw their bodies tossed skyward like ragdolls thrown into the air by the late great Andre the Giant. I don't know. They appeared to be weightless, hitting zero G <laughs> like the fearless crew of a forgotten Apollo mission, whose only objective was to obtain a beef and cheddar classic and return home to Kathleen Quinlan safe before sundown. I don't know. Part of me wishes I'd been hit by that car instead. So I could have gotten out of work early and gone far, far away from shift manager Masha's judging emerald eyes. No, I didn't wash my shirt in between shifts, Masha. <laughs> so what if I smell like roast beef? This whole place smells like roast beef. And then it just returns to the news report. Oh my report. God. That was unbelievable. So we are watching this Arby's employee. He's got on an Arby's hat and an apron and a red shirt buttoned all the way up and a beard. So let me ask you a question. Do you know the story behind this at all? I mean, is it, I got to put this delicately, like, is he just a really enthusiastic slam poet or is there something off about him? Well, at first I thought it was real. Uh -huh. It turns out this guy's actually a comedian and he drops himself into like all sorts of fake situations uh, and broadcasts and stuff, but he does a really good job of editing them. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. So, so this, <laughs> this guy just recorded this stuff on his own, mm -hmm. cut it into the newscast. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. So um, what's his name? I don't really, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So there's just a point there where he was taking those weird breaths and looking at the camera all crazy. And I was like, oh, 
oh no, is this is this guy mentally ill? <laughs> We're making, We're fun, making of fun of him. So I'm glad that's not the case. All right. So Weird Arby's Guy, original clip. You can text the word laugh to 555-888, assuming you've already subscribed to MSD Pod, and we'll send you the link. Otherwise, check the, the show notes. Danica Stahl, that was great work. Thank you. Thank you. Is it uh, as good as the cat video? Not quite. Not quite. That cat right, video was pretty awesome. Pretty hard to beat. I know, right? But uh, this was really good. It's it's long. This is a weird commentary kind of on <laughs> news media and <laughs> society. Because <laughs> I'm watching it and I'm going, why would any news editor keep this guy on this long? <laughs> right? Yeah. But the first few were really funny. So, all right. Check it out. Weird Arby's guy. Another great find from Danica Stahl, who we can follow on Twitter at Danica underscore Stahl. Is yep, that right? That's right. All right. Good times. The Mindset Digital podcast is brought to you by Mindset Digital. We bring workforces up to speed in our fast forward digital world. If you like the show, please recommend us to a friend or even better, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps. Have questions, comments, or ideas about the podcast you want to share with our team? Send them to podcast at mindsetdigital.com. This episode was produced by Pete Brown, Jessica James, and me, Briathal Schultz, and featured Jen Michaels, Danica Stahl, and special guest Ryan Clarkin. Audio mixing was done by Jeff Geller at Allegro Media Design. Some music in today's show is courtesy of the website audionautics.com and is licensed under Creative Commons 3.0. Oh,